Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers 23 and 24? Balaam and the message of God. Balaam isn't just an interesting character. But he's representative of how God can use those who are not his people to bless his people. At the end of the story of Balaam, and we'll see that I think next time, he finally figures out a way to get his money that they've promised him and his reward and honor. And not violate what he has been commanded and yet give counsel and make a suggestion that is ultimately destructive. But here in this time, this Gentile king Balak is seeking help from Balaam. We've talked about him. We've, we've already set the stage, uh, given the foundation of the story of this guy who had a reputation. He was a Gentile, not a, he's not an Israelite. He is a prophet. He's a wicked prophet. He's not a false prophet. He's a wicked prophet. And he prophesies for profit, so to speak. And there are four oracles that are given by Balaam through the encouragement, not through the encouragement, but because of the impetus of Balak the king of Moab seeking to get a curse upon Israel from Balaam. He had this kind of reputation. But the word of God is stronger than anything else in the, in the world. And so at least at this part of the story here, we see the insertion of uh, the power of the word of God, even over the will of, of powerful men. Here's his first oracle, beginning in verse 1, Numbers 23. Balaam said to Balak, build me seven altars here, prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had requested. Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Now they actually went to a high place of Baal. Well, that was, I think, in the last chapter. So there's, it's some kind of twisted sacrifice, but hopefully it will gain the attention of Yahweh. Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps Yahweh will happen to appear to me and he will show me something that I can tell you. And he went alone. Elohim. Now here he is just God. He's not Yahweh, but he is he's God. Well, he is Yahweh, but he's referenced here as God. Elohim. Elohim met Balaam. He said to him, I have set up the seven altars. I've offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Yahweh put a word into Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and say as follows. 
So you'll notice in verse 5 that the word that Balaam will speak is what Yahweh has put in his mouth. It's the word of God. When he returned, Balak was standing next to his burnt offering, he and all the Moabite dignitaries. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east, saying, come and curse Jacob for me and come and invoke wrath against Israel. And so now begins this oracle of Balaam. He says, how can I curse whom Elohim has not cursed? Elohim, of course, has blessed these people from since the time of Abraham. And the blessing will continue. We see more about that as we go through this uh, overall passage uh, tonight. How can I bless something or how can I curse something when Elohim has not cursed it? And we'll see later that he indeed acknowledges that Elohim has blessed these people. I can't curse them. There is this um, it's, it's a spiritual battle, of course, but it's also uh, something of an intellectual battle or a battle of wills because it is the will of Balak the king and, and his dignitaries that Israel, who has just crushed every army on their way to Canaan, even though Moab has the assurance that they don't intend to Take this land. This is not there. They just want to pass through. But there's this uh, struggle of wills where Balak the king and his dignitaries, and, and, and they have, you know, they have, they have money in this game. This is, this is the land of Moab and, and all that Moab is, and they are afraid that this could be taken away. They are desperate as the Gentile world has always been desperate, even until this day, to destroy Israel. They were desperate. Their best hope, Balaam, says, how can I do this when Elohim won't allow it? Later on, he'll say, he's blessed these people. I cannot curse them and I cannot do and I cannot say, but what Elohim has told me to say, how can I invoke wrath if Yahweh has not been angered? From their beginning, I see them as mountain peaks. That's an important statement because we have the pleasure of being able to stand here at what is probably the, the, the close, the consummation of the age, and we can look back across history. And we can see the things that were accomplished, were done by Israel. We can see the prophecies that were made about them. And we can see the prophets sometimes in the Old Testament would say two or three things in a single prophecy that would last half a verse. But those three phrases and those prophecies were prophecies that would take maybe 2,000 years to accomplish. Because from the vantage point of when the prophecy was made until the times when the prophecies were fulfilled, looking across time, 
All the prophet could see would be mountain peaks. He couldn't see how big or extensive the valleys were between those mountain peaks. If you've ever been to Switzerland and you've stood up there on taking that, what is it, a cogwheel railroad or whatever it is, and it, get up there where the snow is, and even in the summertime, and you look out across the Alps and you can see huge peaks that extend way out into the distance. And there's no telling really how far that is or how much, how much, how long, how large the valleys are between those mountain peaks. But you can see the mountain peaks and you know they're there. This is the way the prophecies were. From their beginning, I see them as mountain peaks. From the time this nation became a nation, I can see through time that they have significance. Now, there may be things that occur from one peak to the next, from one fulfilled prophecy to the next, from one significant thing about Israel to the next thing. There may be things that occur there, the details of which I can't see, but I know that these mountain peaks just keep going and going and going. That's what he's saying here. This is how these people are. They're always going to be here. I behold them as hills. It is a nation that will dwell alone. And it will not be reckoned among the nations. And how true has that been? Israel is still a nation. Even when they were scattered, they were a nation. They were a distinct people according to the will and word of God, according to his purpose. The existence of Israel is one of the major points made by God Almighty that his word is true that they have withstood everything that the world has thrown against them ever since there, including this, going all the way back to Pharaoh when they were in captivity and then beyond and what they faced uh, coming out of captivity in the Exodus and making their way to the land of promise and their history as it has gone even to the coming of the Christ being shown in the Revelation as the woman who carried the male child and, and delivered the male child with, with, great, with great agony. Uh, and he was caught up to his father, caught up to heaven. So these, these people have a distinct history and their history is not over. Uh, it, won't, it won't be over because the 12 gates of, of the New Jerusalem are named after the 12 tribes. So they play an important part in the, re, in the story of redemption of God's people, God's elect, that are being, they're being extracted and brought out and brought into God's, uh, brought to God and into Christ throughout every generation that has existed even until this day. And it's an unstoppable thing. It can't be stopped, even though there have been so many efforts, some from a dark spiritual side like this one, others from a strong militaristic side, uh, like even the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and yet it could not be stopped. Even though they were carried off into captivity, they were still a nation, and the purpose of God was not stopped. And then in the time of Zerubbabel, when the Persian king allowed them to go back to their land. It was not stopped. It is not stopped today. The nations are in disarray. 
There is confusion. I read secular reports online from magazines and, and journals that come out. And these are not, these are not Bible-based. They're not prophecy-based. I read one extensive article. Um, this has been a year ago, I guess. It was a journalist. Well, anyway, he was talking about how there was this vacuum of leadership, especially in Europe. And that there was this underlying and growing desire among Europeans for a leader, an honest to goodness leader who could at last bring Europe together. And Europe has, you know, European leaders have tried that through time, not the least of which being what, Napoleon, Charlemagne, Hitler, whatever. But that time probably is not very far away when he will rise out of the sea like a beast. And even then, in the last half of his seven-year uh, administration, he will turn the wrath of the Gentile world against Israel. And he will not succeed. That is when Christ will intervene personally and return. So it's always been that way. Mountain peaks, they're always there. There may be things that happen over a period of hundreds of years between those mountain peaks, but the mountain peaks are always there. There's another mountain peak coming that's the Ezekiel War. And beyond that, the things that happened in the tribulation, the rebuilding of the, of the temple. Now, I mean, we can go on and on with this, but he says, I behold them as hills. They dwell alone. They're not reckoned among the nations. If you go back to the table of nations in Genesis chapters 10 and 11, Genesis chapter 10, you'll note that the nations aren't called by those names anymore. They're Gentile nations. And so the map of the Gentile world in history is always being redrawn and rewritten. Names are being changed. I told you about when I was at a previous church and they had a very old building that had an old Sunday school office that had an old map well, not that big, but it was big, great big world map. And it was a pre-World War I map. And that thing been sitting there ever since before World War I or, or hanging on the wall. And it was interesting. You didn't even recognize the world, the names of the nations, the boundaries, and so it was just a different world. That's the Gentile world. Now, there's a land of promise that God has given to his people Israel. And that won't change there may be usurpers there. There may be people who are trespassing. In due course of time, God will attend to that and dispel them and disperse them from that place. But there's still, there's still these, these promises that are made, these mountain peaks. And it's, it's, an, it's an irreversible, unalterable, irrevocable course of events that will occur. So this old boy here, he just says, you know, I'm telling you, I'm looking a long way out there. And from their beginning, they're mountain peaks. They're everywhere. They go all the way as far as you can see. I can't tell what's between one peak and another. But they just, they just keep going. They dwell alone. They don't depend on the world. They depend on Almighty God. And there's coming a time when, they will find, when their salvation will come to them. And they will cry out. They will look upon the one whom they pierced. Zechariah says, 
and they will weep and grieve and repent. And Christ in his glorious return will save them. And in their repentance and humility before him, they will be saved. All of Israel will be saved. That's a mountain peak way out there, but they've been alone. It doesn't surprise me in these present days that the United Nations, okay, so you have, you have a nation that just randomly starts shooting hundreds of rockets upon the Jewish people. There, the, there was no provocation. It just happens and people die. And Israel, in defense of itself, goes out and sends jets up and finds those, those, those bases from whence the rockets were launched and they destroy them and do what they can to keep all that from happening come back and they're the ones who are condemned it's always been that way it's not going to stop it won't stop until a brief uh, except for the brief time of the covenant between antichrist the seven year covenant and even that will cease to exist three and a half years into the seven year period that was according to the covenant the, the treaty whatever so they're always alone. That's not surprising. From time to time across the travel of those mountain peaks, there would, God would raise up a nation, a Gentile nation. It has been in most recent years, the United States of America and the United States of America has enjoyed the blessing of God because of it. That time will come to an end and those, that blessing will be withdrawn. But as God saw fit, he would use Gentile nations and powers as he saw fit to preserve his people according to the time and the purpose of God. But even though God would raise up a nation, Israel wasn't really getting the help from that nation. Israel was getting the help from God who raised up that nation and would use that. They always been that way. Not reckoned among the nations. And it's that way even today. Well, Balaam saw that. So, he, you know, he, there's, there's strength in his ability to prophesy. Who counted the dust of Jacob or the number of a fourth? Now, from this is a, you go, I think what the last verse of the previous chapter, we're talking about up on the, the high place of Baal where they're making this, this series of sacrifices. And from that vantage point, all Balaam can see is just a portion of the vast multitude of the Israelites. He can't see them all. From, from the hill where he is, he just sees maybe a fourth. He just sees some of them, the seed of Israel. And he knows that this is just a, a portion of the whole multitude of these people. And he remarks upon it. May my soul die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. I want to be righteous in my end. That's what he's saying. Balak said to Balaam, Why have you, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and you've blessed them. He answered saying, what Yahweh puts into my mouth, that I must take care to say. So that was his first oracle. Now here's his second oracle. Balak said to him, 
Come with me to another place from where you will see them. You're not, you're not getting the picture that I want you to get. Let's go to another vantage point. Come with me. However, you will see only a part of them and not all of them. Curse them for me from there. Remember, we've discussed this before in the greater context of this uh, series of, of, of events in the travels of uh, Israel to the promised land. These kings of these Gentile nations saw their gods as regional gods. And uh, they, they thought that there were places where their gods were stronger than perhaps in other places. So he thinks, you know, this is not working. Balaam is not doing too good. He always seems to have his ear. Let's go somewhere else. I, I know where there's a place, and he really, he really works well from there, Baal does. You can curse them from there for me. He took him to the field of the lookouts at the peak of the mountain. He built seven altars, offered up a bull and a ram on each altar, and he said to Balak, stand here next to your burnt offering, and I will meet Yahweh over there. Yahweh met Balaam, placed a word into his mouth. He said, return to Balak, and so you shall speak. When he came to him, he was standing next to his burnt offering and the Moabite dignitaries were there with him. And Balak said to him, what did Yahweh speak? He took up his oracle and said, arise, Balak, and hear. Listen closely to me, son of Zippor. El, God, is not a man that he should lie, nor is he a mortal that he should relent. Would he say and not do? Would he speak and not fulfill? I have received an instruction to bless, and he, is, he has blessed, and I cannot retract it. So he says, he, had, he admits it here, Yahweh has blessed these people, and there's no way that I, could, that I can remit that or subtract that blessing. This is the blessing of Yahweh. I cannot do anything about it. He does not look at evil in Jacob. You see, these are his people. He has declared that they are his people, therefore separated to him, therefore holy, and he has sanctified them in that holiness. And regardless of, of, of how, how they've backslidden in some ways and in some others, God has declared they're his people. Therefore, he does not look at the evil in Jacob and has seen no perversity in Israel. Yahweh, his God is with him. And he has the king's friendship. God has brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. There is no divination and no soothsaying in Israel. And here's what he means. That's ridiculous. That's crazy stuff. Palm reading and soothsaying and fortune telling, whatever. People run to these, these different uh, ways of trying to see what's going to happen. Well, you got the word of God. You have the spirit of God in your heart. He says, he doesn't need this crazy stuff. He doesn't need me and what I do. In time, it will be said to Jacob and Israel, what has El, what has God wrought? It's what God does. It's not what some diviner or soothsayer will say. Some, some guy that's a prophet that is a wicked prophet, some magician or whatever, witch or whatever, that has no meaning to these people. 
These are God's people. Now that may have a meaning in a demon-possessed and demon-controlled world like a Gentile nation, but it has no place in Jacob. It's powerless. That stuff doesn't mean a thing to Jacob, to Israel, because they say in time, this is what God has done, not some soothsayer or diviner of words. Behold, a people that rises like a lioness, raises itself like a lion. It does not lie down until it eats its prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Balak said to Balaam, you shall neither curse them nor shall you bless them. And Balaam answered and said to Balak, have I not spoken to you saying everything that Yahweh speaks that I shall do? In other words, Balak, what part of that don't you understand? If he tells me to bless them, I will bless them. I can't do anything else. So now comes his third oracle. Balak said to Balaam, come now, I will take you to a different place. These first two didn't work out too well. But, you know, I have a feeling that Baal has moved over here and he's real strong over here. Perhaps it will please the eye of Elohim and you will curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the peak of Peor, overlooking the wastelands. Balaam said to Balak, bring me seven altars here, prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam told him and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Now it goes on into chapter 24 and the story continues. Balaam saw that it pleased Yahweh to bless Israel. So he did not go in search of omens as he had done time and time again, but turned his face toward the desert. In other words, this soothsaying stuff ain't getting anywhere with God. <laughs> of course it would. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel dwelling according to its tribes. And the spirit of Elohim rested upon him. Now he sees something about Israel. They are a holy people separated to Yahweh. And Moab, nobody can do anything as long as the Lord is with them. He took up his oracle and said, The word of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the word of the man with an open eye, the word of the one who hears Elohim's sayings, who sees the vision of the Almighty, fallen yet with open eyes. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. They extend like streams, like gardens by the river, like aloes which Yahweh planted, like cedars by the water. Water will flow from his wells, and his seed shall have abundant water. His king shall be raised over Agag, and his kingship exalted. The Agagites are meaningless before the king of Israel who has brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. He shall consume the nations which are his adversaries, bear their bones and dip his arrows into their blood. He crouches and lies like a lion and like a lioness. Who will dare rouse him? Those who bless you shall be blessed and those who curse you shall be cursed. Man, that's not what that Moabite king wanted to hear. Balak's anger flared against Balaam, and he clapped his hands. And Balak said to Balaam, 
I called you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. Now hurry back to your place. I said I would honor you greatly, but Yahweh has deprived you of honor. It's a twisted mind this king had. So he discredits Balaam and then he blames Yahweh. At least he's somewhat right that Yahweh has stopped what Balak had called Balaam to do. Balaam said to Balak, but I even told you the messengers you sent to me saying, if Balak gives me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot transgress the word of Yahweh to do either evil or good on my own. Only what Yahweh speaks can I speak. And now I'm going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people at the end of days. Now he has a, a vision, obviously, of the great Messiah who will at last come in power and glory and put down all Gentile authority and power. And included in that Gentile mess will be those who have descended from Moab, those whose, whose spiritually perverted ideas have passed from generation to generation, which spiritually, as we learn toward the close of the, of the Bible, spiritually, this thing is called the way of, of uh, Babylon, Babylon, mystery Babylon. And the whole thing falls and collapses under the power of the returning Christ. Come, I'll advise you what this people would do to your people at the end of days. So here is Balaam's fourth oracle. He took up his oracle and said, the word of Balaam, the son of Beor, the word of a man with an open eye, the word of the one who hears El's sayings and perceives the thoughts of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty fallen yet with open eyes. And here's his great prophecy of Messiah. I see it, but not now. It's in the mash that would be him. Behold him, but not soon. A star has gone forth from Jacob, and a staff will arise from Israel. A star is divine power, the staff is administrative authority, the Messiah, the King, the great son of David, a prophecy used to help the wise men on their way in the New Testament, which will crush the princes of Moab and uproot all the sons of Seth. Edom shall be possessed and Seir shall become the possession of his enemies. And Israel shall triumph. A ruler shall come out of Jacob and destroy the remnant of the city. He concludes with three smaller, shorter oracles. First of all, with Amalek. When he saw Amalek, he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was the first of the nations. That was the first nation that Israel crushed in, in the war coming out of Egypt. That was the first nation that tried to confront them. Amalek was the first of the nations. His fate shall be everlasting destruction. When he saw the Kenite, these were mountainous people from the Midianites, actually. 
He took up his oracle and said, How firm is your dwelling place and your nest set in a cliff? For if Cain is laid waste, how far will Assyria take you captive? So God reserves the right then to destroy the enemies of Israel by raising up another nation and take, of course, there was the time when Assyria even took the northern kingdom, when Assyria became a great uh, world power, in a sense, in its day. He took up his oracle and said, Alas, who can survive these things from El? Ships will come from the Kittites and afflict Assyria and afflict those on the other side, but he too will perish forever. Some of those peaks that he saw, mountain peaks along the way, of course, Babylon defeated Assyria. Balaam arose and went and returned home. And Balach went on his way. This is a great spiritual battle. Now, there have been physical battles. We've seen them, among them the Amalekites and others. Balak, knowing that he couldn't win a physical war, tries to wage a spiritual war. And the world is taught through the story of Balaam and Balak that there is no spiritual war that can defeat the purpose of God. That the word of God reigns supreme over, over all of the connivings of man, even to the greatest of them in this world. We'll stop there and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we, we honor you and thank you for your power and your absolute authority in all things, even as they are occurring this moment. We know that this is your story and it is our story in you that is being written and we rejoice in it. Bless us and help us in these days. Watch over us. Give us your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.